Podcast with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Bietti. This episode of the PowerCast is brought to you by Audible.com. Download a free audiobook of your choice today at audiblepodcast.com slash PowerCast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash PowerCast. And now, on with the show. Jason Offit, you've written a book called Darkness Walks, The Shadow People Among Us. Uh, we take it you're not talking about covert agents working for the U.S. government, right? Uh, probably not. I not not from from my research. No, no. And you're not talking about here. neocons either, right? No, absolutely not. Okay. Well, they, they right now we them? just alienate everybody who is politically conservative in our audience. Well, yes. that would include me. Well, there you go. Off to an, uh, <laughs> an inauspicious start here. Um, right, as I'm sitting in front of my MacBook Pro, so that should smooth things over a little bit. Oh, there you go. That works. There you, you, you can't be all bad then. <laughs> Rush Limbaugh uses Macs, and what can I tell you? Why are we going in this direction? Rush Limbaugh (laughs) is, he is below a shadow person. Take this into consideration. I'm from Missouri, and so is Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh is from uh, Cape Girardeau. And what you may know, in 1941, there was uh, an alleged UFO crash near Cape Girardeau. So Limbaugh's from there, UFO crash Uh from there. Put the two together. Now, uh, wait a minute. UFO crash in 1941? Do tell. Yes. Um, in 1941, a uh, Baptist preacher was called out to uh, the scene of what he was told was a uh, was, was an airplane crash, and there were uh, a couple of couple of pilots that needed uh, uh, needed the religious service. And he went out there, and the military was crawling all over the place. Uh, even the local sheriff's department, and after the fire department was finished, they were run off. But he was he was escorted in, and the crash he saw was not an airplane. It was something he'd never seen before, and the uh, two individuals uh, that were called pilots, he said, were absolutely not human. Uh, he was told to keep this information to himself, uh, which he did up, up until he was about ready to die, and he told his granddaughter about it. And this was yeah. right in between Cape Girardeau and Sykeston, Missouri. And how did he describe these two, quote-unquote, pilots? Typical uh, typical gray-type type description, uh, bulbous head, uh, uh, very large, almond-shaped, black, black eyes, very frail bodies, about uh, about four foot tall. But how is it that a clergyman would have been called in by the presumably the military? Well, he was called in by the uh, by the local sheriff's department. But when he arrived, oh. the military had arrived there before him and was escorting people out. But since he was uh, a member of the clergy, he they they brought they brought him in. And one of the interesting things, interesting things about this, uh, a woman named Linda Wallace, uh, her father was stationed at, uh, at an Air Force base that was at that point, well, not Air Force, it was Army Air Corps, just, uh, down in, in, in that area. Uh, and she found out, not from her father, but from later from people who he served with who were in, when, uh, in nursing homes, that they had experienced this. They were there. And saw the craft, saw the uh, saw the alleged aliens. Uh, and when she went to research this, all of the local newspapers from that year had were on microfilm, and uh, there were chunks completely taken out that were that were blackened out from that year. And all records from the local uh, uh, from what was the Air, Army Air Force base, and from the local sheriff and fire and and entities of that nature, everything from that year was missing. Here's the thing. I mean, I've never heard anything about this episode. Gene, with your long involvement in the field, I mean, have you ever heard about this incident? No. You know what? 
maybe I read of it a long time ago. I don't know, but it doesn't really ring a bell right now. No. Very, very you strange. You learn something new every day, and this is something more than new, something very, very intriguing. The, the fact that it was uh, six years before before Roswell, I thought, was, was pretty fascinating. Absolutely, and, and doesn't fall into the whole idea of there being some kind of intelligent entities looking into nuclear activity, um, because when we talk about Roswell, obviously people will often refer to the fact that the modern era of UFOs seems to start, seems to coincide largely with the beginning of the atomic age. But in 1941, you're talking years before there was any real experimentation with that kind of technology. Right, but there was a lot of, uh, a lot of activity going on on the planet at, at that time that might have drawn some attention. Well, it, of course, takes us down a whole other path. But And it seems like your interests, Jason, are sort of not just in the realm of what you've written about, um, the shadow people, which we'll get to, but you seem to have more of a global interest in the paranormal. So you know, standard question we ask our guests, how did you get involved in this stuff? I was one of those weird kids whenever you were in elementary school and got the uh, – um, Scholastic Book Club order form. I ordered books about Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster while buddies of mine were ordering books about baseball players. So it's something I've been interested in ever since I was a little kid. I'd seen a couple of strange things as a child, and I think that probably probably spurred my interest. Well, that ties into the beginning of the book where you talk about growing up and seeing these dark, shadowy entities uh, in in your house that you were growing up in. So tell us about that. Well, I was maybe maybe I don't know around around nine years old. I might have been might have been eight, might have been ten. But um, I first to, to, to preface seeing these. Uh, my family lived six miles away from the nearest city, and we lived on a lonely highway. Uh, so we kept our blinds open at all times because you're not going to get a peeping tom in the middle of nowhere. So whenever the moon was out, my room was extremely well lit. Everything was a uniform gray. I could see my bookshelf, my desk, my Fair Fawcett poster on the wall. This was the mid-'70s. And so was, you know, when I looked around, everything was familiar. And then one night, I saw a man standing in the corner. Uh, I couldn't see any features. It was completely uh, black, like just you know, a hole punch in the night. And he walked from the corner of my room past my bed. He was within a foot, a foot and a half of me and out into the hallway. And I had no clue what to think of, think of this. And I mentioned something to my parents the next day, and they thought I was nuts. Um, and this kept reoccurring. Sometimes one shadow person I'd see, sometimes a row of ten of them, like they were going somewhere from point A to point B, and my room just happened to be in the middle. Uh, thankfully, they never seemed to take notice of me. They were just filing through my room at night. And this was you know, 20 years before anybody was really talking about shadow people. Now, when you talk about this, um, you, you notice this thing standing there. Was there any sound involved with, with these things at all, any kind of audio information? No, absolutely not. And when, uh, if a person walks within a foot, a half, foot and a half of you, you can generally sense a presence there. And I didn't feel that with these things. It was completely visual, and I, I've always been a logical thinking person, even as a kid, and I looked for any explanation of this, any natural explanation I could find. You know, was a car driving by at the time, and, you know, it might have been a shadow? Was it clouds, you know, across the face of the moon, that sort of thing? And I paid, paid careful attention, and I never could figure out a, a terrestrial explanation for it. Were they fully opaque, or were they somewhat translucent? 
No, just completely black. Just, this is just a complete hole in the night. Distinct edge or fuzzy edge? Distinct. Like watching a bad Hanna Barbera cartoon, as, as bad as that animation was, it was that kind of uh, that kind of distinction, that kind of line. So we've we've spoken with other people who have reported these kinds of things, but something that has always stood out to me is that um, very often when you'll hear these descriptions, you'll, you'll specifically hear them talk about somewhat soft edges to these things. And you're saying there was a real crisp kind of a delineation on the edge of this not any kind of um, blending of the edge with the background, right? So you're saying when you see these, these saw these forms, you actually said you saw a shadow man, so you're you're distinguishing there between a male and, and female figure, correct? Uh, correct, because the, the 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 body shape and and the and the way the thing walked through my room was distinctly male, and throughout uh, all of the interviews I had done for my book, there's only one case uh, of a person calling it a female. Every other hmm. case was was distinctly male. Interesting. Um, when you saw these things walking in the room, you said it's at certain times you saw more than a couple, like they were lined up. Did they ever seem to have any awareness of their surroundings? Because you said that they, they didn't bother you. They, you almost say they didn't seem to notice you, correct? Right. What about the rest of the stuff in the room? I mean, you know, as you walk, see them walk in the room, were they avoiding obstacles? Were they simply walking through walls? When you say they walked to the hallway, did they walk through the door opening? I always kept my door my door open. Um, mm -hmm. They walked from a corner of the room, which was which was a blank wall, uh, and there was nothing to obstruct their path between that wall and the hallway. So they they, they never uh, their, their path never never altered because there wasn't any, anything to walk around. How would they appear? I mean, in, in other words, when you would notice them, would they already be fully formed in there? Did you see them walking out of a wall? There would be a, just a really black spot where they'd come out of. Um, you know, I, I didn't see them walk through the wall. Uh, it was just really, really dark in that corner, darker than, than anywhere else in the room, and they just, you know, uh, appear from that black spot. So, well, let's, get, let's drill down into that a little bit. When you say appear from a black spot, that spot was the same size as they were at full size, or did they seem to come out of the spot and, and grow to full scale? No, it was it was it was the same size, and and this is going back, uh, you know, uh, thirty four years, and so right. I mean, my, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think, think through the you know, look, look through the eyes of a ten year old, and you know, kids see a lot of things. I'm not telling myself absolutely a hundred percent that I did see shadow people, but I remember now what I saw. But I, you know, there could be there could be an explanation for it that, that I didn't come up, you know, I didn't come up with what. This just spurred my interest, especially after I discovered that other people had seen entities like this. Uh, I'm a journalist, uh, and I teach journalism at a university now. So I've, you know, approached the paranormal from from a completely skeptical eye, even the experiences that I've, I've personally had. Right, but you know, like I know that when I was growing up as a kid, uh, I was I'm still kind of into flashlights. Uh, uh, part of that was growing up um, in earthquake country. When I was growing up down in Venezuela, it was right on the San Andreas Fault in Caracas. And so there was always this idea that you should always have candles and flashlights. And to this day, I've always had this thing about having like multiple big Magnolite flashlights all over my living space. There's always like one within reach because A, they're a great light source. B, they're also a great weapon. You hit someone with one of those things, forget it. They're not getting up. Right. Um, as a kid, did you have a flashlight? Did you ever think 
especially after the first time you saw this, did you ever think, I need to have a flashlight, so next time this happens, I'm going to train a light on them? No, it, frankly, it scared me so much, I didn't really want to draw attention to myself. If these hmm. things were going to walk through my room, you know, good God, I didn't want them to take notice of me. Did you have siblings? Yes, I, I two, uh, two older sisters. I talked to them about I didn't talk to anybody about this until I was in my 30s. Um, okay. And, you know, I talked to them about it, and I talked to, to my mom uh, about it, and they had never had any experiences like this. And as a child, if I'd call out, if I'd see these things in my room and call out, I'd hear my dad cuss from the other room, storm through the hallway, turn on my lights, and nothing would be there. But that now, was after the shadow person had already walked out of, out of my room and into the hallway. So, really, I mean, it's kind of interesting. So you didn't think to tell your sisters at the time, hey, you know what, you need to see these things, too. How much older were they than you? One is five years, the other six. So when okay. I was seeing these, they were you know, already in high school. Gotcha. All right. So you, you see these things, and obviously it creates a lifelong sense of interest to you because you've written a book about them. When you talk about, in the book, sourcing for these things, you get into a bit of a description uh, of some of the potential science behind this. But did you look back historically to see when these things really started manifesting? Because you, you've mentioned that people didn't refer to these things as shadow people at the time that you were seeing them, but it seems to me like there's probably some historical precedent for these kinds of visions, are there not? Yes, yes there are. Uh, the As far back as, as anybody that I interviewed, uh, I interviewed a guy from Ohio who had seen these things as a child in the late, in the late 40s. Uh, there was a radio play, gosh, I can't remember the name of the program now, uh, but it was out of Chicago. But anyway, one of the episodes was called The Shadow People. I listened to this, and and the description they gave was shadow people. Uh, in English literature in the late 1800s, there were some descriptions that fit shadow people. Uh, but as far back in history as I could get is in, in Christianity and in Islam, Hinduism, uh, Buddhism, they all have this type, and in American Indian shamanism also, also have this type of entity in their belief system. Except for the, except for uh, in, in Hinduism, it's all ne it's all been negative. So this stretches back, you know, a few thousand years at least. Hey neighbors, as we said, this episode of the Powercast is being brought to you by Audible.com, and you can download a free audiobook of your choice. And you can select from over 40,000 audiobooks and lots, lots more featuring bestsellers about the paranormal, about UFOs, novels. You pick it, and when you get the book that you want, just download to your Apple iPod or over 400 other devices. All right? You can download your free audiobook today, today at audiblepodcast.com slash powercast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash powercast. This offer only good for USA listeners. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and David. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com.
Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, and you're listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg, David Jedney, and I completely, enthusiastically endorse this program. It's an absolutely great program with an opportunity to stretch out and talk. We have Jason Offit, and he is a prolific author of things paranormal, such as Darkness Walks the Shadow People Among Us. So you say it's 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 all negative. I mean, did you get that sense when you were seeing these things as a kid that these were somehow dangerous or negative it, to to you specifically? Me personally, no, I didn't feel that. A lot of people who experience these don't. I have labeled this type of shadow person uh, a benign shadow person because they don't seem to cause. Uh, I don't feel. I didn't feel threatened. A lot of people don't feel threatened. They just feel afraid. Like, oh crap, what's that in my house? Uh, a lot of other encounters, however, um, people do feel do feel threatened by these entities, and the behaviors of certain types of entities are so you know, wildly different than others that I think a shadow person isn't just one type of entity. It's an appearance that matches a, a number of different entities, actually. So in doing some research about poltergeist cases, and I've been doing some reading last year uh, about some of the more extreme versions of manifestations of poltergeists in, in homes, there seems to be some potential for some of this activity to actually be some form of psychic projection on the part of the observer. I'm not saying that that's always the case, but there definitely, you know, for example, so many poltergeist cases seem to occur uh, where there are uh, prepubescent females in a household. They seem to sort of uh, create this kind of activity or at least attract it. And, and the jury's out about whether or not we're dealing potentially with some sort of a, some sort of a metaphysical manifestation that might actually be triggered or sourced from the observer. Do you ever run into that in looking into these shadow people incidents? I mean, is there a potential for these things to be some sort of a, literally some sort of psychic projection on the part of the people who are witnessing these things? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, there are uh, you know, a number of cases that I've covered could could fit into that. Uh, some cases could be a psychic projection from someone other than the person who witnesses them. Uh, one woman I, I interviewed, a shadow person actually spoke with her, and that is extremely rare, but this shadow person confessed to her that he was actually a living human who's been stalking her. So... Yeah, I, I will have to have to agree that 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 yes, that can be an explanation. Well, now come back to that for a minute. Can you give us some specifics about that? Because that sounds extremely unusual. Right, and this is the only this is absolutely the only case that I've uh, that I've had on that. But uh, but the woman said she kept seeing a shadow entity in her room at night, and it started talking to her, started addressing her by name, started saying that, uh, you know, we're going to meet in person soon. Uh, and when she started talking back to it, the thing, uh, you know, told her that he was a human and was just spying on her and, and, uh, and was going to have her at some point. How long did this go on for? Uh, well, the last time I talked to her was uh, probably a year ago, and uh, it, was, it was still ongoing. How long had it been going on? Just uh, just a few months. So you don't know if there was any follow-up, if she ever actually met someone that would correlate to this form. And, and, and you know, this, of course, this begs a lot of other questions, Jason. I mean, one of the things we constantly talk about on the show is 
this idea that people are told things, whether they be by supposed extraterrestrials or uh, uh, apparitions um, or some sort of you know psychic manifestation, and there is this assumption that people are being uh, told truthful things by these entities. I mean, uh, in this particular case, it almost it, it sort of sounds like this thing was telling her something in order to elicit a fear response from her, but maybe not necessarily telling her the truth, especially if you've got something that sort of appears to be a negative entity. Why would anybody believe or do you believe that the you know that these things are telling are being truthful or honest in any way? Oh, you bring up an excellent point. And no, if, if some entity like that appears <laughs> appears to you and starts telling you things, you know, there's absolutely no reason to believe it. You would, you know, think absolutely opposite. No, no, no. That's okay. I, when she said this thing was talking to her, did she literally hear a voice coming out of its mouth, or was it more of a kind of a, a, a psychic speech inside of her head? That it more of a psychic speech inside her head. Hmm. But still, she heard a male voice. Uh, even though it wasn't wasn't auditory, she said it was a male voice, and then it was was fairly distinct. It was yeah. it was uh, it was a fairly fairly high voice, not not falsetto, but uh, but uh, not a deep resonant one. But uh, it, it had an American accent. Hmm. Was it? Did it sort of sound raspy to her? Or was it clear? No, she said it was it was clear, just like she would be talking to to anybody out in the street. Hmm. You now, see. I, I, Again, yeah. all, all of these, all of the interviews, all of the interviews that I've done, um, I've, I, I've, I've interviewed people, I've talked to them, I've written their stories down, and, and it, it appears in the book. I mean, I haven't, um, you know, a lot of them, a lot of the stories I, I've analyzed, a lot of stories I've asked, um, you know, professionals about, uh, psychologists and, and physicists, uh, chemists, uh, you know, to ask their opinion on, on what these things are. Again, I approach these things journalistically, and I just um, I just wanted to get that across. What kind of responses do you get from people like, for example, physicists? I mean, when a physicist hears about these kinds of entities, you know, what, what, what do you find their reactions to be? Is it what we'd expect from scientists? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the physicists that I interviewed, I actually found a couple of guys who um, are really, really, really want to prove that ghosts exist. They are uh, extremely... Um, you know, positive about about the uh, existence of the paranormal, and want to use science to prove that that it exists. They have yet to do it, but 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 that's their mind frame. But when when I discussed with them all of the characteristics of shadow people, what they've been reported to do, uh, matched up with physics, it it just doesn't it just doesn't add up. And when I talked to them about the um, interdimensional travel, uh, uh, I got a really big chuckle. Well, you know, part of the problem, of course, being, and this is something that also has come up on the show before, Jason, is that when people talk, you know, people talk about interdimensional overlap and, and just use the term dimensions, very often it's sort of the same way that they use the word energy, where you get these sort of generic proclamations without any real understanding of some of the sort of underlying, under the hood kind of mechanics of it. Um, I mean, there's one part here in the book, and I'd have to specifically find it. You, you've got some quotes from Marie Jones, who we've had on the show. But, you know, there's one, one part of the book here. I'm just sort of grabbing this and seeing if I marked it. I, I didn't, sadly enough. But there's one part here where she talks about, you know, the zero-point field and goes right from that to, oh, yeah, and that's where people who are dead live. Or something, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it. And 
I mean, Marie's a lovely lady, um, and she's written some interesting stuff, but, I, you know, some of those statements, I, I don't know how scientific they are. Um, it's not like we know enough about some of these outer fringes of physics to make proclamations like that. Do, do you know what quote I'm talking about, Jason? Uh, no, I, I don't recall exactly the quote. I mean, I, I remember vaguely, but I can't bring exact, the, the exact quote to mind. But, but that's also why I did interview the physicists. So when I have one person making a claim one way, I can talk to the, to the science end and have them say, well, no, it, it's, you know, this is what it is, or this is, this is what it isn't. This is All what right. science tells us. I found it. It's on page 27. And, and the quote is, the third possibility, Jones said, is the zero-point field, which is an electromagnetic energy field that fills a vacuum. Quote, within this field lies the landscape of time, past, present, and future, she said. Linear time is only a human illusion, but in the quantum world there is no linear nature. It all happens at once. In this field, Jones explains, is everyone who has died is living now and will live. So you get someone who gives you a quote like that, and, and again, you know, Maria's dealing with these outer fringes of physics um, where we, we don't know a lot of things. What we do know is a whole heck of a lot less than 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 what we don't know. I mean, so when she when she says a, gives you a quote like that, I mean, what's your reaction to that? I'm curious. Well, as with a lot of people in the book, that's her opinion. And uh, again, I did, you know, that's why I went out of my way to talk to a couple. Of, I shouldn't say went out of my way. I teach at a university and uh, in a college town, so I took the physicist out for a beer. So uh, <laughs> we, um, but that's why I that's why I spoke with 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 them, scientists who you know do hard science research. So I mean, there's, there is a, a lot of opinion in this book also, not mine, right. uh, of, of, you know, the people I've, I've interviewed, because this is the paranormal. What The reason it is paranormal is because science doesn't, hasn't recognized it yet. So one person's opinion is probably as good as another's. So, sure. I mean, that, that's why I, I included that also. And, you know, just to sort of, you know, the, the whole issue of the shadow itself. Um, I don't know if you've heard the episode uh, on uh, of the show where I talked about this incident with a very good friend of mine where we had an extended uh, interaction with a full-body apparition um, of a girl, of a female. And what was really interesting about her was that she was distinctive looking, except for the fact that where her eyes and her mouth and, and, and other aspects of her face, where those things would normally be, there was nothing but shadow. So, you know, we're, we're looking at her in daylight, um, outside, and she doesn't have eyes. She has no mouth. Well, where those things are, there is just darkness. So it's not a full manifestation of what you would call a shadow person, but definitely the, the idea that these very distinctive characteristics of hers that would normally be very important as visual communications cues, especially her eyes, those were completely in shadow. Now, in the book, you talk about the potential physical makeup of these entities. You run into this problem, right, where uh, basically you've got scientists telling you, well, it, you, you, you've got states of matter, you know, uh, a solid, liquid, and gas being these three primary states, and then there are there are other uh, states, things like plasma, that ends up being sort of a combination of a liquid and a gas, as I understand it. But um, what you're reporting in here are these interactions with these things, where they're actually 
affecting matter. So what do the scientists say about that in terms of, let's say, a shadow person doing something like, like turning on a television set? Well, the, they, the only explanation that they have is that using physics, something that can walk through a wall, something that can uh, appear and disappear, something that can block light, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all these things can't exist at the same time. It can't uh, dissipate and, you know, have the ability to dissipate and be able to turn a doorknob or turn a television on and off. It just doesn't make scientific sense. So even though they are prone to the paranormal and, and want to prove that something like this exists, exists using science, science as we know it today says that it, it can't. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Jason Offutt has joined us. He's author of such books as Darkness Walks, The Shadow People Among Us, and he's not talking about that character who is also known as Lamont Cranston, okay? I want to mention that. And also Haunted Missouri, a ghostly guide to the show-me state's most spirited spots. It's not the birthplace of Rush Limbaugh. No, Rush Limbaugh is not mentioned once in that book. Thank heavens. Thank goodness, yes. (laughs) So... In these scientists talking to you about this, Jason, I mean, have, have any of the scientists brought up the idea of some sort of a manifestation of matter that is basically phase shifting its material state? You know, so well, yes, you can't have something that, let's say, can walk, go through a wall and then manipulate solid matter simultaneously. But what if something is actually changing its physical state? Now, the people I spoke with were hardline physicists. Uh, the uh, any the- theoretical type physicists who are really big in- into string theory and things of that nature. Um, that's I didn't delve into that because it's you know you can't prove it. It's all it's all math. So I, I did not delve into that. No, they didn't didn't really bring it up. Hmm. Now one of the more interesting uh, interesting manifestations of shadow people uh, had to do with a. Uh, a, a scientist in, I believe it was Sweden, um, who was working with epilepsy patients. And he would um, shoot electricity, a uh, small, small amount of electricity, into certain parts of uh, his test subject's brain to see if, you know, what that would do to them. And mm-hmm. this one uh, particular test subject reported seeing a shadow person standing behind her. And the more the, the electricity was increased, 
the closer the shadow person got to where it was sitting right next to her, and she could see it full on, and it was trying to take a pin out of her hand. Now, of course, what what is the question that popped into my head? Was it the electricity making her see something that's not there, or the, the electricity making her see something that was there? You know, I don't know. I just left that out for people to decide for themselves. But that is science manifesting something that nobody else in the room could see but her. Right, but at that point, one has to ask the question, where was the electricity being applied? I mean, if you're talking about electricity being applied to a part of the brain where the visual cortex processing happens, uh, you know, that's very different than applying uh, electricity to a part of the brain that is in no way connected to visual processing, right? Right, right. So at that point, one has to ask you know deeper questions about how some of these experiments go down. Now, I'm always interested in things like photographic evidence. And you're looking through this stuff and doing research on these cases. Did you find any photographic evidence that you might have thought was compelling? I did see uh, some pictures and some videos. Uh, some pictures were, were fairly compelling, but... I uh, I can do things with, with Photoshop, and I have uh, uh, graphic artist friends who can do fantastic things with Photoshop, and because of that, I really don't trust photographic evidence when it comes to anything to do with the paranormal, because I've seen things that look absolutely believable that, that were faked. Sure. Photographic evidence is usually one piece of a puzzle. If you have an interesting image, but you have uh, no sourcing for it, if you don't have credible witnesses, if you don't have multiple witnesses, then a photo is really just, at this point, a collection of pixels, absolutely. At the same time, if you have, let's say, three or four people who uh, have all reported the same thing, and you have, let's say, photographic evidence, especially, and you know, the holy grail of photographic evidence, of course, is to get a picture of somebody taking a picture of somebody taking a picture of an anomalous event, um, something that I, to this day I've never been able to find, and I, I've been actively searching for that. This would be the kind of thing that it, you know would would lend more credence to the to the value of a piece of visual evidence than just a disconnected photo. So I'll rephrase the question: Did you see any photographic evidence associated with witnesses who you felt otherwise were very credible, especially multiple witnesses? There was some photographic evidence from uh, from a, a one witness that I thought was credible. Uh, there were not multiple witnesses, however, so I would have just had to have taken some one person's word for it. That's why I didn't in include that in my book. Hmm. You know, there's um, there's a website that I, I frequent quite a bit that I, I really love, and um, it's called MetaFilter, and uh, it's just a it's kind of an aggregator of interesting items. On uh, on the web, there 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 was a post recently about a person who was asking some questions about credible sources for paranormal research, and so I, I emailed this person saying it's kind of interesting. This is one of my my areas of 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 interest personally. What's going on? And this guy wrote back to me. I don't know if it's a guy or gal girl actually, um, but I asked you know what's what's going on? you know why are you asking this and um, wrote back, he or she wrote back and said, it's a long story about what some people call a hat man. He says, my two-year-old saw it, his mother saw it, 
My dog was afraid of it. My neighbor installed security lighting and then moved because of it. I saw a mother bear slap her cub out of its path. Now, does that name, does that term sound familiar, familiar, Hat Man? The Hat Man, yeah, absolutely. I have uh, have an entire chapter in the book on on the Hat Man. Tell us about the Hat Man. Well, the Hat Man, I I, I mentioned uh, one term I had given for uh, the entity I saw was a benign entity because, again, it didn't do anything. The Hat Man, uh, all the stories I've collected on him are not benign. Anybody who sees this individual feels not just fear of seeing something unknown, but a, but a, a terror that they really can't, really really can't explain. But what the Hat Man is is uh, is fits the description of a shadow person, except for it's wearing a fedora, which I find absolutely fascinating. Not a baseball cap, not a stovepipe hat or a cowboy hat. It's a fedora, and in all cases. Uh, people were just absolutely terrified, and this is the general 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 words from these people, not not me, but from the experiencers are it feel it felt like it was feeding off my fear. So these entities seem to be uh, seem to be extremely negative. So is that based on the hat they're wearing that you can tell which is the negative entity? I'm not being silly about this. I'm being quite serious. Right. No. Uh, it's a, no. That's a that's a good question. Uh, Shadow people like the ones that I had seen, just a man-shaped shadow, who can behave the same way. There are a number of different types of shadows, like um, ones that were a monk's cowl. Uh, other ones have glowing red eyes. Uh, hat people have had gro- uh, glowing red eyes. The, the monk's cowl type have had glowing red eyes. All of these elicit that same type of response with people. Uh, but it's generally... Uh, with the other types, not necessarily all the time, but with the Hat Man, they all seem to seem to elicit that response. The only uh, other type of entity that I have in uh, in the book uh, that has a hat uh, was a derby, a uh, Hat Man wearing a derby. But this entity behaved much more like uh, a typical ghost encounter than a shadow person encounter. And I mean, why a fedora? I, I I really have no idea. I mean, it, it looks like the shadow, the old, you know, radio cartoon series, the shadow. I did, as a matter of fact, mention that as a joke. Oh, it's not Lamont Cranston, but of course, the shadow wore a fedora. Right, and and these, uh, I mean, there's a, just a specific uh, a specific period of time when a lot of men wore a fedora. So why would this hat entity have picked the fedora? Let's turn the question around. I mean, in terms of the cross-section of the kind of people who report seeing the hat man, were they of a certain age? Were they of a certain financial demographic? Were they were they typically men or women who reported these things? I mean, I guess, you know, in, in, in you researching and speaking to people about their sightings of these things, what kind of demographic information did you come up with? What kind of uh, sampling did you take? Did you speak to people across the country? Did you speak to people in other countries? I spoke with people uh, across the country from, from Canada, Australia, South Africa, uh, Portugal, uh, Ireland, Great Britain, France, just from all across the world, and they all had the same basic types of stories. They all had the same basic types of encounters, and the hat man was present uh, in, in, on a number of different continents. Really? So it, it, yeah. So and it's anywhere from from five year old twins who reported seeing. You know, they told their mom, "Yeah, I saw him. He looked like this, and it was wearing 
that hat, and, and people from Europe have seen the Hat Man. So it's it's not age, it's not it's not uh, you know the financial demographic, it's not what sex you are, uh, what culture you grew up in. Uh, even though anymore, you know, we're almost one world culture, depending on on the countries. It's, it's just a huge cross-section of people. Now, a fast question, Jason. Does this also mean that in areas where they don't wear fedoras or any kind of conventional hat that we regard in our Western culture as conventional, say, in Asia, in Africa, they also see them with fedoras? Now, the, the, the one problem that I'm going to have answering this is the places in you know, in, in Africa, it was South Africa, uh, and, and then again, Australia. I didn't speak with anybody in, in Russia or China about this. Uh, and, and in Europe, they've all been exposed to American TV. Right. They, right. So they've all seen this. It's all Western. And the hat always seems to indicate a specific type of impression one has of this entity, right? Right. Everyone that I interviewed, and this all goes, goes back to all these different types of, of entities that are listed in my book. Uh, I've put them together in categories because I've talked to a lot of different people and they've told the same stories and I've bunched those stories up into different categories and different chapters. So the, all, the, all of the Hat Man encounters did, they, they did tend to be negative, the ones that, the ones that I've collected. Alright, what about positive points of view? Are there any shadow people that convey more of a positive aspect or does it always tend to be negative or frightening? The one, Example that I have in my book towards this is uh, a young man. Well, he's not young anymore, but at the time he was, who uh, first encountered a, a shadow person in his house when he was um, after using uh, a Ouija board. This thing just appeared, and that's what he uh, feels feels brought the shadow entity into his house. But he said he felt the thing was protecting him from something in his house that he thought was a lot more uh, malevolent than, than the hat person was. Other than that, this thing just scares the bejesus out of people. So is it that we're talking about some sort of an archetype? You, you, you refer to shadow people and, you know, of course, people think of darkness. And let's contrast that to and not, not in any way addressing the veracity of these claims, but the light beings. And you never hear about the light beings being malevolent, they're usually always benevolent, um, and what or pretend it starts to be, David, right? Or pretend to be. Sure. Well, let's just let's just play along with that for a minute, because at that point, sort of to me at least, sounds like uh, these are I don't know character expectations. You know, darkness bad, lightness good, and and that sort of seems to indicate maybe more of a psychological involvement in this than not. Right. And, uh, I, let's let's go on with that, and let's bring back the Hat Man. Okay? okay. Let's look back at the movies from the 30s and 40s. Somebody wore a fedora and a suit. What type of person were they? If they weren't a businessman or Fred McMurray coming home from work on My Three Sons, Scarface. They, they were gangster, probably. Exactly. They were gangsters. They they were bad people. I also mentioned um, a lot of of shadow people encounters. They're wearing a monk's cowl. What do you think of with the monk's cowl, the Grim Reaper? Which is again a negative, you know, absolutely negative. Another entity that I mentioned had glowing red eyes. That will also scare scare people. So yes, a lot of this is probably psychological. Uh, let me mention the types of, of entities. A lot of people I interviewed feel that these things are. Mm -hmm. uh, of, of course, when you uh, when you look into religion, um, Christianity, 
name me what, what I'm going to say say right now. Oh, demons, man! Demons, I, I, we're definitely yeah. going there. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, when I uh, when I talked with uh, a couple of uh, Cherokee gentlemen, uh, they described these entities as witch doctors who had used their uh, you know used their profession uh, for greed and had mutated into something that was less than human. Okay, something bad. The Buddhist, the expert in Buddhism I, I interviewed said, yeah, Buddhists don't talk about that. They, they acknowledge that this type of entity exists, but they would rather focus on the positive. They're, they're not going to tell you anything. Uh, so hmm. in, in, in almost every case, uh, in, in Islam, the, the person I spoke with said that this is uh, absolutely an evil jinn, uh, which right, right. the Western culture has, of course, turned into the genie. So... Yeah, in, in all the different different religions of the world, these things are viewed as negative. And given the appearance of them, whatever these things are, if they're something from religion, if they're extraterrestrials, as some people have, have claimed that they are, uh, they're all using psychology to frighten whoever whoever's encountering them. Before we get even more frightened about what's going on... Business travel is a profitability killer, you know that. So do more and travel less with GoToMeeting, the easiest, most affordable online meeting service. With just a click, launch sales presentations, training sessions, product demos, or collaborative sessions right from your desk. GoToMeeting is so easy to set up and use, you'll have your first meeting running in seconds. Plus, hold as many meetings as you want for one flat rate. Free VOIP and phone conferencing included. Try GoToMeeting free for 45 days. For this special offer, you must visit www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts. That's www.gotomeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. Jason Offutt has joined us, and he is talking about the shadow people. You said the word extraterrestrial, Jason. I mean, how do people bring that into the whole soup? I mean, there are people who think these are not of this earth. They're, they're visiting aliens. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. And I did include... And I really, you know, I hate to phrase it like this, is that's the more far-out explanation, but we're talking about shadow people here, so... <laughs> you know, what's the far-out explanation? But that really kind of took me aback when I interviewed a few people who claimed that, yeah, they're, they're extraterrestrials. And taking it even a step farther, uh, I've got a section in one of my chapters where three people I interviewed claim to have claimed that they're reptilian extraterrestrials because, you know, a fold in, 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 in the cloak opened up and they saw, you know, this, this clawed green-scaled hand. That absolutely floored me when I, when I heard it, like, you know, what, seriously? 
but yeah, that's that's part of of the mythos, a very small part, but but it's out there. Well, what was your take on these people? Let's step back for a moment. Were you interviewing people in person, or were you talking to them on the phone? Uh, phone and in person, phone and a little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of uh, email because uh, as a teacher, uh, I really, really can't afford a lot of phone calls to Australia. <laughs> well, um, there's always Skype. You know, with Skype, you can afford phone calls to anywhere on the planet. Right, I'm I'm a little bit backward. Uh, All right, but <laughs> I as I was a, a journalist for 18 years, uh, and, and I think I have a pretty good BS detector. And most of the people I interviewed were sincere. They had seen something. The people that I viewed as not being sincere didn't get into the book. Uh, also, a lot of people who gave me explanations that were obviously terrestrial, like uh, the sleep paralysis explanation, because they tend to be basically the same story over and over again. Mm -hmm. Most of those didn't make it into the book, except for as an example of sleep paralysis. So to, to answer the question, the people uh, I interviewed, I am certain, are 100% certain of what they saw. Well, they're certain they saw something. Something. Yeah, whether, right. whether what they saw was the shadow person or the shadow person as an extraterrestrial or as a demonic force, however they saw it, you know, did they actually see it? I don't know, but they were convinced that they did. Well, isn't it true, though, that people, let's say, from a fairly religious upbringing are going to parse their experience in the framework of, let's say, demons, right? I mean, you know, if you have somebody who's been going to church since, since they were a kid, and now they see a dark figure with glowing red eyes, is it inaccurate to assume that they, that they would assume they were seeing a demonic entity? Well, yeah, it, it really depends. I, I've gone to church since I was, uh, you know, a very small child, so back back so far I couldn't remember. That's mm -hmm. not what I thought when I saw these things walking through my room. The word demon didn't pop in my head. And actually, until I started researching the book, that never occurred to me, hmm. that that might have been, been what they were. Um, of course, I was brought up a Methodist, so maybe that's that, that's why that didn't <laughs> pop into my head. But, uh, yes, with, with a lot of people, probably so. Uh, most of the people I interviewed did not bring up that they thought they were demonic. A few did, not a lot. One of the interesting things I found was part of the description that goes across the board with all shadow people is that they are, there's something wrong with them. Either they are way too tall to be human, uh, some of them have heads that are too large, arms that are too long, legs that are too long. Uh, they walk with a gait that people don't, could not walk with. Uh, sort of a jerky, bad animation type, um, uh, Ray Harryhausen type of, of uh, stop-frame animation. And when I was talking with uh, a Catholic archbishop, uh, and I described, you know, the blacker-than-night uh, human-shaped entity, you know, he immediately said, they're, they're demons, uh, which, which I kind of expected. But then he described something that kind of took me aback, was the fact that they look human, but there's going to be something wrong. He said either they're going to be too tall, body parts are going to be longer or shorter than normal. They're not going to be an exact representation of people. So, I, I mean, I just found that him describing something that I already knew and, and giving it the name, name Demon, I just that, that really, really interested me. Well, what caused him to say that? I mean, to what does he attribute that? Well, he, uh, he's, he's an exorcist. <laughs> for, for one thing, mm. he's, he's seen he's seen entities like this 
uh, pass during exorcisms. You, you know, you bring up the glowing red eyes, Jason, and what occurs to me is that there there are all sorts of reports that seem to incorporate that element. I think of chupacabras, the early chupacabra reports in Puerto Rico. Recurring theme, glowing red eyes. Um, the infamous Mothman incident, whether or not, or actually I should say series of sightings, whether or not they're, they're credible, glowing red eyes. How many of the shadow people reports that you investigated had that element in, in, in to them, the glowing red eyes part? It, it was a very small number, but enough that I needed to include that as a chapter all of its own. Mainly because of the fact because of the fact that these entities tend to uh, frighten people more than any others. Mm. Which, given the fact that you know a pair of glowing red eyes are coming at me in the dark, it probably probably would do the same to me. Yeah, and we're not talking about light reflecting off of uh, retinas of something being seen in the dark. Let's say like red eye that you see during flash photography. You're talking about something that's emanating a red light, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. One, one of the more terrifying cases that I can think of, uh, a woman that I spoke with was eight months pregnant and got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. And as she walked down the hall and, and sat down and was facing the hallway, and there was a window that she really couldn't see much out of because it was really dark. And then she noticed a pair of, uh, a pair of red eyes. She said they were spaced about you know, as far from the floor as a large dog would uh, would be. Uh, so they looked like Christmas lights until they started, and she thought it was something outside, until they started getting closer and closer and closer. Frankly, she was lucky she was on the toilet because she probably would have needed it by that point. Uh, and she screamed, and her husband rushed out into the hallway and turned the light on, and, and, and the eyes were gone. But there was no light coming from her direction that would have caused those. And there was nothing out the window that would have caused those also at least from, from her perspective. How about incidents where people report seeing a shadow entity that's not human in form? Animals, for example. The, uh, that, uh, again, she didn't see, the, didn't see the form, but she said uh, you know, she felt that it was a dog. Most of the shadow animal reports that I have in the book that I found were of cats, uh, mainly people seeing a uh, shadow cat at their feet as they're trying to walk, uh, seeing one uh, walking against the wall. There's uh, an interesting uh, story about the uh, uh, Capitol Cat. There is a, a shadow cat entity in the uh, United States Capitol that appears during, uh, you know, when, when a president has died and uh, walks around the basement, which I thought was kind of interesting. Of the White House or the Capitol building? The Capitol or... building. Hmm. The president lies in state in, in the Capitol building, if I remember correctly. And there's a black cat, a shadow cat with red eyes that shows up? That has, that has shown up for, for decade upon decade. So you're saying, for example, when Kennedy died, also when, what about when Ronald Reagan died because he'd been out of office for so long? Well, I didn't have a report specifically from Reagan, but uh, what, what I found was um, whenever a president is lying in state in, in, the, in, in the Capitol, uh, people who've been downstairs uh, have reported it. I'm not saying every single time, but they have reported it only at those times. Again, back to data points on research. One of the things when you start looking at things like apparition sightings and ghost sightings, for example, for whatever reason, there seem to be an inordinately high number of, let's say, ghost sightings and apparition sightings 
in buildings or structures that contain a significant amount of limestone. And this is a really quite mysterious. No one really knows why. There's all sorts of uh, theoretical explanations that are thrown around. But in looking into this, did you come up with any sort of data points that indicate, for example, geographic areas where these are seen more than more often than not, certain types of structures where they're seen more often than that, outdoor versus indoor. That email that that person sent me on Metafilter, there was another communication they had sent me saying that um, basically these people they knew had to move out of this house because this thing, whatever this hat man dark thing was, it was coming up the driveway, like every morning at 3 o'clock in the morning, ooh, the magic 3 o'clock hour, this thing was basically seen coming up the driveway like every night. And apparently this family essentially had to move because it was just freaking them out. Um, Parenthetically, David, the 3 o'clock hour in the morning, what is there about that hour? It's not whether the president will be ready to receive the emergency phone call. It's a good question. I, I, I really don't know. I, you know, for whatever reason, and, you know, there are people like that incredibly ridiculous show, Paranormal State, where I think they call it either the magic hour or the chicken liver and gizzards hour. I don't know that that whacked out guy calls it like different things. Sometimes he calls it the candy corn hour with liver soup. I don't know what that means, but that guy from Paranormal State says it, and it's a, either at, it's, it's usually at three o'clock in the morning when I think the REM activity is going on in his left earlobe. But, um, That's a special place that he has just set up for it. Yes, the best thing to do is to avoid shows like that and Ghost Hunters, <laughs> in my opinion. Well, now, see, now here's the thing about Ghost Hunters. They had that one show. They were in some penitentiary, and they caught some piece of video. It's the o one of the only decent, I think, decent pieces of video they've ever captured. I haven't watched the show in a long time, but they were at some state penitentiary, and um, they had a camera set up on this like walkway outside of these cells. And there's this weird thing like coming towards the camera that they actually they caught this thing on video. I who knows? I mean, I haven't looked at the original video. I don't think anybody outside of their little clique has. But from what I saw on TV, this is like at least a few years ago, maybe two years ago or so. It looked like a compelling piece of evidence. So. Gee, what do you have against the TAPS guys? <laughs> you know what, before we get that question answered and before we explore it further, we're about ready to take our hourly break Okay. to give us a chance to recoup and recharge your batteries. And on the other side of the Paracast, we'll return with Jason Offit, author of Darkness Walks the Shadow People Amongst Us and Haunted Missouri, a ghostly guide to the Show Me State's most spirited spots. Coming up on the Paracast. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack, Attack. of the Rockoids. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, 
The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. Jason Offutt, paranormal researcher, writer, joining us, and we're talking about shadow people and other horrible things. Now, when we look at creatures like shadow people, do you think we're looking at an external entity or something we're projecting ourselves? That's always the big question. Right. It could be. It could be either one, and probably is a little both. Uh, a, a lot of incidents of of shadow people. I think I've, I've alluded to this before. Are probably a case of sleep paralysis when we, um, you know, we're we're asleep and we wake up during a REM cycle and our, our body's still still paralyzed slightly from sleep, uh, and we can see things in our in our bedroom that are actually there, but we're also still seeing things from our dream state. And we can't move, and we're seeing, you know, we can see dead relatives. We can see shadow people. We can see Elvis standing at the foot of our bed. Well, that you know, one I don't think I'm interested in. The dead relatives depends on the relative if I like them. But Elvis, no, don't want him. I don't want Elvis. I certainly don't want Michael Jackson. Right, right. Well, and, and it, 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 a lot of, most cases probably are that. So that's something internal. Uh, it seems real to us, but it's not. Uh, most of the ones that I've, uh, that, that, that are really compelling to me in the book, I think are external. The ones I think that really, really seem, seem the most, most credible, the, the most, most actually shocking are ones where there's been physical contact. Uh, a, a woman from Australia, uh, a number of years ago said she, uh, was sleeping and felt something in in the room next to her, laying down in bed next to her, and that just brought her out of sleep immediately. Uh, she could move, so I'm not counting this as, as sleep paralysis because it doesn't fit the mold, but something was in the room with her, and it rolled on top of her, and she felt the thing sexually assault her. She eventually made the thing leave by vocalizing she couldn't speak for a while but it seems to be with these shadow people entities whenever you talk to them um whether it shocks them or you know whether they just don't like the noise they they, they tend to dissipate so in a sense like this how do we investigate something like this how do we find providence how do we find authenticity in what people see that you really can't duplicate or can you Right, and and in that that type of case, you know, I I had to take her word for it. I had to use my uh, use use my BS detector that I've developed uh, as a longtime journalist to, to see that this person was was telling me uh, the truth as she saw it. Uh, I hope my BS detector is really good whenever my kids are finally teenagers. That'll that'll help a lot. Oh, that's <laughs> going to be hard. Let me tell you, someone whose son has recently, in the last few years, passed the teenage phase. You never know. It's very difficult. Mothers know. Mine never did. But anyway. <laughs> so in all of the stories that you collected, Jason, tell us about some of the standouts. I mean, assume people haven't read your book. Give them a reason to want to read your book. You've got a lot of cases that you cover. What are some of the ones that really stand out in your mind and why? Uh, 
A couple of them, uh, one, a couple of them specifically because it happened during the day. A lot of these shadow people encounters are at night. And, and thinking back to a question you asked before that I don't think I answered, uh, had to do with, was, you know, with where, did, where do people see these things, what time of day mm-hmm. and what location. Well, right. what time of day is mostly at night? What location is mostly in people's homes? Uh, why? Because people are in their houses mostly <laughs> at, at night after they get off work. I think, uh, but a lot of people have encountered these things during the day in their homes or on the street corner. Uh, I inter- interviewed a woman who was at a church service in the morning on a Sunday, bright light shining in through the stained glass window. And as she was sitting there watching the preacher giving his sermon, she saw a shadow people walk up behind him and meld into him. And she saw the man stop and shake for just a few seconds, and then he went on with his uh, went on with the sermon. Uh, and she looked around, and nobody had noticed it but her. But there is a case of a shadow person during the day walking into a crowded room, and, and this person was the only one who saw it. I also uh, also spoke with a woman who was watching TV in the middle of the day, and the TV faded off into commercial, and while the screen was still black, she saw the reflection of a shadow man and she tried to look for it. it was not in her room was not in her house she looked out the window and it was leaning against a lamppost across the street and being a typical shadow person encounter she couldn't tell you know where its face was she couldn't see uh, any detail but she felt that it was watching the house across the street that's what it looked like it was doing and the next day an ambulance came and, and took her then dead neighbor away there have been a few cases like that where their shadow person has has appeared, and then somebody somebody tended to pass away. But yeah, that's the, those two cases specifically because they were in, in broad daylight. What about on uh, things like planes and ships? Do you have any coverage of let's say ship-based encounters? Actually, no, uh, no vehicles at all. I don't have any uh, automobile encounters. No ship, hmm. no plane. No, it's it's all been. Uh, someplace stationary. Well, see, the reason I'm asking this is that you, you, you read about haunted ships, and there seems to be, at least anecdotally, a tremendous amount of activity on certain ships of, of non-human, even sort of non-material entities. So in, in looking at all of this, do you find correlations between what are typically called haunted houses and the shadow people, you know, do you have a lot of situations or a lot of cases where you have both, you know, what I I was going to almost say normal ghostly activity, but I guess that would be kind of a silly way to put it. Um, David, you're getting jaded by the show. Well, yeah, I guess maybe a little bit. But, Jason, I mean, how do you differentiate between what would be considered, I was going to say conventional, also wrong terminology, more commonly reported ghostly encounters versus shadow encounters? Do, in a place where you have ghostly apparitions, do you tend to also have shadow people? or How does that play out data-wise, statistically? Uh well, and, and it, it depends. Again, as I've mentioned a couple of times, what is a shadow person? Given the behavior of these entities, they behave in a number of different ways. Uh, I'm 
uh, I tell people stories, um, and given given the stories that I've received in this book, some shadow people some shadow people encounters are probably you know if if you're Christian, yeah, absolutely, they're probably demonic. There are probably a lot of ghosts encounters that the the entities look like what we describe as, as shadow people. They could be any number of paranormal entities. So, are there shadow people encounters? that uh, are, are in some place that's purportedly haunted. Yes, absolutely. Are they shadow people or are they just ghosts? It depends on their behavior. Because I've gotten a lot of uh, uh, ghost investigators, uh, people who do it seriously in the weekend warrior type, who have given me shadow people stories. And uh, a lot of these shadow people stories are, you know, ghostly in nature. They walk through a wall. They, they appear and disappear. I interviewed a, a woman who was at the Waverly uh, Sanatorium uh, who gave me uh, an encounter that sounded ghostly but sounded not ghostly at the same time. She was in a, uh, in a hallway, and everything was, you know, there was no lights, but it was, it was fairly gray, and she saw a, a shadow entity walking across the wall. She said the way it was behaving is uh, as a guard would, you know, patrolling a hallway. But when she shined her flashlight on it, she said this entity, it, it, the, the flashlight, the beam struck its arm. She said the entity pulled itself away from the wall like one of those, more like a magnet, like a magnet, like a fridge magnet. And it looked at its arm, and she said her impression was that it was in pain because the light was hitting it. And then it uh, put its arm down and ran. That sounds like a scene that a friend of mine worked on on the movie Hook. Peter Pan trying to capture his shadow on the wall. Oh, that's just weird. <laughs> Strange little flashback there. Well, maybe there, as a matter of fact, that was Peter Pan. Maybe Peter no. Pan is real yeah. and that movie yeah. is factual. No, that movie was uh, bad fantasy. And Peter Pan is, a, in my opinion, a weak story. Peter Pan was never as hairy as Robin Williams. Well, there is that. Uh, you know, we don't want to go down this road because I'll have to start telling Julia Roberts jokes and I'm just going to start to itch. I break out in hives when I think about that movie, please. But no, I mean, that, that's, that's really interesting, Jason. That's weird. So the light hit this thing and it responded in a way that it, it, it was disturbed by the light. And again, kind of putting at diametric ends this idea of the dark creatures, the light creatures. And the problem is to me that that sounds like a distinctly human metaphor. Um, th that, that to me is, is almost like bifurcation of the brain kind of stuff. You know, uh, light versus dark, yin versus yang. I mean, I've always thought that polarity is kind of a byproduct of the physiology of the brain, which kind of keeps then taking us down the same road of external manifestations versus psychic projection. And look, Let's just qualify this. If you had something that was a psychic projection that was so powerful that you have multiple people seeing something that was actually a manifestation of someone's subconscious ability to project something, that in and of itself would certainly be worth looking at. That would be highly interesting. So it's not like we're, we're downplaying this, but you know, going back to comparing these things to the more commonly reported ghost encounters. I know that there is this feeling that certain ghost encounters are essentially almost like uh, tape loops, things that are sort of playing in time and in space that don't have any awareness of their surroundings. 
versus then these ghost encounters where people feel that the entities, whatever they are, seem to know that they're there. They're aware of their surroundings and they they respond in real time like this thing with the light beam hitting its arm responding. So is there a ratio? I mean, in, in the shadow people stuff, do you have a similar kind of a breakdown where you've got some of these shadow entities seeming, seemingly going through what they do without any real concern or awareness of their surroundings versus shadow entities that are responding in real time to people or to the observers in the situation who who are going through the experience? Well, uh, you're asking for ratios. As a journalist, I can't do math. It's not that I won't do it. It just can't happen in my head. So I can't give you a ratio. Well, but, come uh, on, man. No, don't <laughs> cop out. I mean, I mean, you know what? I mean... <laughs> No, you know, I, I can 50, say I, 50? Can, I mean, you know, we're right. talking about the most basic stuff. You know, you can't right, you can't I, claim no math here. Come on. I can I can I can I can general I can just say that that most of the encounters that I have are, are kind of the uh, benign types. Uh, it's probably I shouldn't say most. I'll mean, give you about forty percent of the ones that I've gathered. Not forty percent of the ones that are in the book, but forty percent of the ones that I've gathered have been entities that just didn't even notice somebody was there. They were walking right. from point A to point B, and you know, could it, yeah, could it be sort of like a residual haunting type thing to which repeating over and over? Sure. But uh, most of the encounters in my book are of those who have, uh, shadow people who have uh, reacted in one way or another to somebody. Either a person has seen them, the shadow person staring at them, or a shadow person has, you know, uh, invaded their, their personal space by touching them. Yeah, those, those sort of things aren't as common, but... You know they're 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 a lot more interesting. Again, why I put them put them in the book, but yeah, most, most of the time I, I would say that, uh, that that shadow people are are not specifically interested. However, a lot of the ones who that do I shouldn't call them who call them that. Um, a lot of them that do take notice of people seem shocked whenever a person takes notice of them, which which I thought was pretty interesting. This is Timothy Green Beckley, otherwise known as Mr. UFO, reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal. And we have a special offer for the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bizarre sent to you via snail mail. And all you have to do is email me at MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MRUFO at WebTV.net. And we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications. And you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers in the field, as well as up-to-date information on the latest book and videos and it's all for free or drop us a line mr ufo at webtv.net you know neighbor is one of the hardest jobs in organizing this show on our websites was finding the right host to get everything online we've used a number of these companies and there are lots of good ones to choose from but the very best is one and one internet one and one Internet is part of United Online. It's a large European telecom company that's been in business since the 1980s. So you can bet they know what they're doing, and there are millions of individuals and companies out there who depend on one and one Internet to get online and stay online. 
Right now, One in One Internet is having a big special. From the cheapest email hosting package to the large dual quad-core server that we're using, you can bet that you'll get a full package of the services you really need at a price that's far lower than you might expect. From registering a domain to hosting a full-fledged business site, use the same host we do, One and One Internet. To get the latest special deals, point your browser to theparacast.com slash host. That's theparacast.com slash host for the best value in hosting your personal or business sites. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Jason Offutt, exploring shadow people. So, okay, are the shadow people just there doing their thing, or are they aware of us? And obviously, if you shine a flashlight on them and they show some kind of reaction, they are. So I guess the meta question is, are they evidently acting totally of their own volition without awareness that there's another world or universe about them? Or are they playing out some kind of game, or are they simply doing things to get our reaction? Uh, yes, yes, and, and yes. Uh, a, a lot of them are just doing their thing, oblivious to whether we're there or not. Uh, a lot of them are seem to be observers. They're just watching. They don't interact at all unless they see us observing them, which, which kind of disturbs them and they leave. And other ones are taking a more active role and seeming to want to scare the willies out of us and delight at doing that. So yes to all of the above. When you talk about physical interactions, we're talking about things like feeling pressure. Are we talking about something that touches you and you get cold, something that touches you and there's a sense of heat? How does it usually play out, Jason? A lot of times it's just a feeling a person has that, uh, that, that, that they're frightened beyond fear, that it feels like something is eliciting the fear in them, and they're happy about it. The, the entity is happy about it. Other cases have been uh, a person has you know, gotten angry. You know, This shadow entity is in my room. It's in my life. I want it to get the hell out. So they have touched it, uh, in, in which case the people have described it as cold and you know, a, a feeling like when, when, you're, when your hand goes to sleep. Like pins and needles. Kind exactly. of thing. Pins and needles type of thing. So, I mean, what, what was the other, the last part of the question? Whether or not there's ever heat. Uh, heat, I haven't gotten any, uh, I, I don't have in the book any, any response to heat. If, if it's been a sensation of temperature, it's been cold. The other type of physical interaction, girl who was 12 years old at the time, she's in her 20s now, uh, in England, the, uh, the house where they live, her, her family lived, she was terrified of her mother's room. Uh, she lived upstairs. Her mother's room was at the top of the stairs. So whenever she woke up in the morning and went downstairs, she would run by her mother's room and downstairs because it, it frightened her so much. And her mother would occasionally send her upstairs to, to fetch something from the bedroom. And when she did, she would approach the room, and most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, she would start hearing a very loud heartbeat. And... That heartbeat would then later be accompanied by this shadow figure that would approach her. She didn't feel like she could move and would often drop to the floor in a fetal position and close her eyes. 
until the sound of the heartbeat would leave. She would occasionally, if the heartbeat was still there, open her eyes to see the shadow person looming above her, uh, and it would eventually go away. But one day, uh, her entire family was downstairs. Her mom and dad and her, and her siblings were having dinner. Her mom sent her upstairs for something, and when she got to the top of the stairs, she heard the heartbeat and suddenly felt something grab her ankles, and she grabbed the, the banister, and she said the thing had her pulled horizontally to the floor, about, about two and a half to three feet uh, above the floor, and it was trying to drag her into the room. Uh, and she was screaming and screaming. Her, later, her family reported saying that they didn't hear her screaming at all. But eventually, when, when she said she felt the thing, knew she wasn't going to let go of the banister, it let go of her. And when it did, she tumbled down the stairs and went screaming for her family. She hasn't seen the thing since she's moved out of the house into a house of her own. Uh, but strangely enough, she said she still wants to. She said some small part of her wants to experience that again. Really? Well, now, I think people would hear that and think that she uh, was a little off her rocker at that point. I mean, because that, what you've described is something pretty terrifying. Why do you think she'd want to experience that again? For the adrenaline know. rush? Possibly. Why, or, or why does some, some people stay in an abusive relationship? I mean, I don't know. Maybe well, so actually, to her at that point. Well, yeah, because for a lot of people, it ends up being familiar territory. And, you know, there are all sorts of, you know, kind of dark psychological constructs that have people do that. But we're talking about something, you know, so terrifying. I mean, I can tell you that based on my paranormal experiences, I, I and people might sort of sneer at me when I say this, I would just as, just as soon have never had any of this stuff happen to me. I'd be much happier. Well, I agree completely. And in fact, whenever I, I whenever I give any uh, any talks on the subject, I I started off with the paranormal is fun as long as it's happening to somebody else. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I you know I I know there are a lot of people. It's kind of weird about how that works. You know, I've I've had people come up to me and go, "Wow, it must be really fascinating to have experienced stuff you've experienced." And I'm like, "Well, I there are more fascinating things I'd rather be doing, like eating ice cream." <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I, I, I've certainly never looked for this stuff in my life. It just seems to find me. And, you know, and certainly there are other people who would say, well, you know, maybe subconsciously you want these things to happen. It's like, no, subconsciously, I just want to go on with my life. So, and, and, and let's, let's segue that into another question based on the reports that you've looked into and, and the people you've spoken to. Is there a certain kind of psychological profile that's more common than others? Because here's the thing. You said that growing up, you were more interested in reading books about things like Bigfoot um, than doing sports stuff. Now, and that's good and fine. I, I, I'm sort of from the same camp. But at that point, I also have to recognize that being interested in these topics from an early age predisposes one to basically, I don't want to say parse or interpret things based on that filter, but yeah, something will happen, and you'll, you'll, your your worldview is such that it, it it's more comfortable with, let's say, trying to fit something into a paranormal box than not, and it'll take things that are not paranormal and put them in that box. So in, in you're talking to people, Jason, I mean, what kind of psychological profiles did you encounter, or was it a wide range? 
it was completely across the board. I interviewed people from uh, from from bikers to southern Southern Baptist ground into you know as whatever reality <laughs> extremely religious people are in to I mean well to a physician from St. Louis that uh, that has encountered these things and and was trying to to put them into some you know you know logical you know trying to draw some logical conclusion which she she never never ultimately could. So I, I I don't know. Uh, I mean, at least from at least from the interviews that I've done, I don't think there was one psychological psychological profile. And for me, that that I'd mentioned before, yeah, I've been interested in these, you know, this type of topic for a very long time. But I also experienced this thing. Uh, I, I saw a, a full-bodied apparition when I was when I was about eight years old. Uh, again, I was eight years old. Eight-year-old kids see a lot of things. But I don't know if my you know, interest in the paranormal is because of things that I've seen or, you know, the other way around. I always try to look at things uh, realistically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe I watched too damn much Star Trek when I was little. <laughs> I think we all probably can uh, say we suffered from that. But now you're, you're talking about a full body apparition separate from the shadow creatures that you saw, right? Right. I, I was, uh, I, I walked out of, uh, of my room. I remember it was sunny, it was in the middle of the afternoon, and I walked into the hallway to grab the uh, the D book of the World Book Encyclo- Encyclopedia, because I wanted to look at dinosaurs. And uh, when I walked into the hallway, I saw a little boy. The, the house I lived in was uh, a 120-year-old uh, schoolhouse that, that was turned into, a, turned into a home. And I saw a little boy about six years old standing and looking at me. And... Uh, he, uh, he was wearing a flannel shirt and blue jeans, and I could see the bookshelf through him. And I turned around and walked into my room and shut the door and didn't come out for a few hours. But I didn't really talk to people about that much. Uh, it didn't really scare me. I just thought it was extremely odd, and I didn't want to deal with it at the time. What uh, did the boy look like he was dressed from what would be the period that that schoolhouse had kids in it? Yes, he looked like he looked like any typical farm kid from thirty the nineteen thirties and nineteen forties, right? And and I, I I didn't and people ask me, well, have you researched to see if somebody died there? And frankly, I didn't want to justify it. Right. Question for you: um, He was full body apparition. Well, I can't say that because I never looked at his feet. Okay. All right. That's fine. And it's weird how that ends up being true a lot of the time. For whatever reasons. Because you're looking at the rest of the body, David, that you never look at the feet or pay attention to it? No, I, I think it's because the face and the body probably, the face and the eyes are probably the first thing that grabs you. So striking that you maybe don't look at the rest. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. 
Jason Offutt has joined us talking about shadow people, entities, whatever. David. So the color of this little boy, Jason, do you remember, and it might be so long ago that there isn't a clear memory in your mind of this, but the colors of the kid's skin, the clothes, how would you describe those colors? The impression I got, and again, it, it was a long time ago. Yeah, you were eight years got, old. Right. Right. The impression I got that, that the shirt, his flannel shirt was blue. Other than that, I know his hair was dark. I'm assuming it was brown, but I don't frankly think I saw brown. All right. he, yeah, he, he, was, he was more more opaque than solid. But I do also remember seeing his eyes, which were dark, uh, not completely black, of course, but uh, dark, dark irises, uh, and they were looking directly at me. And I, I don't like to tell this story in connection with the shadow people story because my general rule of thumb is that if people, you know, if they've seen a UFO or, or, or a ghost or Bigfoot or shadow people, you know, People can do that, but if they've seen a Bigfooted ghost can read people's minds, have given JFK a back rub, and, you know, have seen Elvis within the last two weeks, I kind of start doubting them. Right. So I, sure. I don't like, you know, compiling things that I've experienced. You mean you haven't seen Elvis in the last two weeks? Uh, I really don't want to get into that. Uh, not not here, not today. John Lennon? <laughs> no. No, one of my favorite conspiracy theories is the fact that Stephen King allegedly killed John Lennon. Oh, Jesus, I haven't heard that. What? Come on. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, exactly. I think he was busy eating a grapefruit at the time. I don't think he was there to kill John Lennon. You know, here's the thing, though, Jason. I mean, I understand exactly what you're saying, right? You don't want to talk about too many things grouped together because at that point, people just start to think, okay, they they sort of lost it. I totally relate to that. It's why I've, I've... at this point, I've sort of put a moratorium on the stuff I'll talk about in terms of my personal experiences on the show because I've covered so much ground already, and, and I have left a lot of the very weird stuff out. And it's for just those reasons, it's because you don't want to go too far. Not not And you know, people might say, well, you're holding back stuff. It's like, well, yeah, I'm holding back stuff because of the fact that I haven't made sense of it yet either. So, you know, to, to just talk about these things and just to report what you've seen, what you've experienced, without offering explanations, I guess it's a situation where when you talk about this stuff, people just, they, they, they're never satiated with it. They want more and more and more. And I think for a lot of people, they love the attention, so they'll increase the details, they'll, they'll increase the intensity of the thing just in order to keep people hooked. Which, uh, well, there are a number of cases out there of people, uh, I don't know if I should name names or not, but a lot of people out there uh, who appear on, on you know, all sorts of paranormal shows who had tied something early early on when they started making, making a scene that was probably legitimate, that, but they loved the limelight so much that they just kept going to the point that they're you know, absolutely ridiculous. You know, we can start a whole segment just on that because I think there are a lot of people like that who had something happen to them and they totally destroy it because number one, the followers say, we gotta have more experiences. What else happened to you? Duh, nothing. Well, wait a minute. I think I remember something now. Right. Whitley Strieber, I think, probably falls right into that bucket. I mean, the guy probably had some legitimate stuff happen and then he just sort of lost it. I mean, you know, listening to him speak, he's, he's kind of at this point, I think he's out there. And, and yeah, it's true. I mean, we've even, Gene, you've mentioned the idea that Billy Meyer may have had a genuine UFO sighting at some point early in his life, and then just basically took that 
and and ran with it. But at the same time, or was time, encouraged to run with it. I have no idea. And I could say that yeah. about George Adamski. George Adamski was one of the early contactees. But back in the late forties, uh, early fifties, he wrote a book that kind of mirrored what his contact experiences were. But what he possibly did here was because of the science fiction era, the movie Day the Earth Stood Still, where Michael Rennie comes out in a silvery suit and his flying saucer. And you know what? Let me have my experiences be presented with an entity or being like that. But but now contrasting that, Jason, to the kinds of stories people tell about, for example, shadow entities, I mean, is it fair to say that the people who report the stuff have pretty much zero to gain by it? Oh, ab absolutely. In fact, a lot of the people I interviewed said, I, please don't use my real name. And, and right. I make, make a point of that at some point in the book, so they don't want noticed. They don't want people to know that, you know, this is what I saw, but you know, this really is what I saw. So, yeah, they're, they're absolutely, they have absolutely nothing to gain by, by you know, telling me, you know, the details of what, what is, what, what's transpired with them. So, at what point, I mean, when you're talking to people about this stuff, when you're interviewing people, what are some of the mechanisms that you put into place to vet people? I'm just curious. I mean, you have someone, I mean, you, you mentioned some of it as they start to sort of expand their stories. But, well, let's just start here. Is it fair to assume that anybody who has a credible story about this is likely to find that fear is the primary emotion surrounding the experience? Well, yeah, fear for a number, number of reasons. It's, you know, something completely unknown. You know, they're seeing something that's in their personal space, in their house where they feel comfortable. Uh, and, and it's coming at night in the form of something dark. So immediately that, that's sinister. So uh, fear, uh, fear absolutely is, is the thing that people fear. One of the guys that I interviewed specifically said, and I, I love this quote, I can't repeat some of it because, because of the vulgarity, but he said that they're, they're not, you know, blank, blank Disney, Disney characters. You know, he said that they're, they're, they're demons, they're, they're bad entities. So yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you see something like this walking to your walking to your house, fear is going to be what what you feel. You're not going to you know ask it to sit down for a cup of tea. Well, you know, some people like shadow people. You know, oh hi there, how's everything going? How's Lamont Cranston? No, oh, that that boy that that was about as flat as a pancake, sir. <laughs> oh, at least I got oh, a million man. of them, even flatter. Well, yeah, no, I, <laughs> some of us know, sadly. Um, <laughs> well, I I can say from my own experience. Uh, when my friend Bill and I saw this full-body th apparition thing, we sat, you know, not not 12, 15 feet away from this thing for minutes and minutes and minutes. Probably 10, 12 minutes. I don't know how long. I really don't I know how long. It happens really strangely whenever you're experiencing something like that. It could, yeah. it could have been two minutes. It could have been a half hour. Yeah, no, it, it was it was at least 10 minutes, maybe more. Um, but we were sitting really close to this thing, and... My friend Bill kept saying to me, Dave, what do we do, Dave? And I'm like, I don't know, Bill. Well, are you going to go over to it, Dave? <laughs> no, Bill, I'm not. Sounds I mean, to be one of these movies, these comedy movies. Well, it's just like Ghostbusters, whenever they saw the entity in the library. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, yeah, you're, you're, you're sort of watching this thing going, what do I do? And, and, and there is, the, there is a, a natural tendency to want to just bail out and run. I mean... At the same time, that gets overridden. The legs are overridden by the mind that's going, what the hell is this? I'm curious. I want to know. And so let's bring that now to 
the shadow people. So any of the people that you spoke to, Jason, did any of them see this thing and just say, oh, the hell with this, and just like bolt out of the room? In a lot of cases, and, and this happened to me when I was a kid, and I don't understand it, even though it did happen to me, is I saw it was in my room, put my covers over my head, and fell asleep. A lot of people do, a lot of people report doing this. Thinking about this now as an adult, I can see myself running the hell out of the room. I talked to a guy from Portugal who he and his girlfriend at the time, he was walking her home, it was around 10 o'clock at night, and we walked through a, uh, walked through a park. And there was, there was a house uh, with, with, a, with a large stone fence and a, a tree behind it, uh, behind the fence. And he said the tree started shaking violently, and he and his girlfriend stopped, and they heard something that sounded like uh, uh, some kind of a body, an animal or human body, fall out of the tree and hit the ground. And he said a minute later, uh, he saw a hand, uh, a black hand, shadow person hand, grab the top of the fence uh, and pull itself up. And he said they saw uh, the shoulders and the arms and the trunk and these glowing red eyes as it was pulling itself over the fence, and they just bolted the hell out of there. So that is an instance of somebody somebody doing that. But most of the time, people are just shocked what they're seeing. Yeah, yeah. I can relate to that. So shadow people are not the only thing you've looked at, though. I mean, obviously, you've written a book about uh, uh, ghost encounters, and I guess yeah, I keep coming back to this issue of overlap between these things. Do, do you feel that these two separate phenomena are in any way connected? Well, and, and I, I think I made a point of this earlier. I don't think in a lot of cases they are separate. I think a lot of shadow people encounters are just ghosts. I interviewed a guy named Corky uh, Simpson, who is a – he was at the time. This is, I think he's since retired. He was a columnist for a newspaper in Arizona. Uh, I think mm -hmm. it's the newspaper in Phoenix. Uh, anyway, he and his wife were staying at a bed and breakfast in southern Missouri in Carthage, and he woke up in the middle of the night and saw uh, a streetlight shining through the window and a shadow person standing at the end of the bed. It was smoking a pipe, it had a mustache, and was wearing a bowler. And he said he got a really just gentle feeling from the thing, and then it faded away, and he realized there was no streetlight out the window. But the light accompanied the entity, but it seemed to backlight it. And I went and stayed in that exact room where Corky had stayed and had a fantastic night's sleep, didn't, didn't encounter anything. But that is a clear case to me that it was probably ghost because it fit the exact description of the person who built the house back in, uh, back in, in, in like, 1902. You know, this gets to be the larger question here is, how do we investigate these things? You know, if I say I saw a shadow person, you know, of course, we can think about sleep paralysis. Maybe it happened at night. It happened during the day. Maybe I took a, a nap or something, and I woke up, and I saw this thing. And we have David where his friend Billy sees something. It's not a, necessarily a shadow person, but whatever saw, they saw this apparition. Well, we saw, we saw this apparition, yeah. I exactly. Mean you see an apparition... And how do we investigate this stuff? Because we have a large number of anecdotal incidents occurring through a period of years. And if you didn't see it yourself, you can say, you know what? I don't know what they saw. They were dreaming. They were crazy. They took too much Valium that day. They well, now, well, now here's Prozac. the thing. Well, let me, let me address that, Gene, because this person on Metafilter who said that this thing was showing up like every night at three, I wrote them back and I said, hey, listen, 
this is really interesting. I want if I want to communicate with you because I thought to myself, if that's true, if they've got this thing showing up on a regular basis, of course I thought set up a camera, set up a camera on a tripod. If you know this thing is showing up at three o'clock every morning, grab some footage and you know. And I keep going back to set up a camera, then set up another camera shooting the camera shooting the thing. You get some evidence like that, and now you've now you're cooking with some fire. So Jason. Are there situations that you researched where these things are going on on any kind of a regular basis where someone has thought maybe it'd be worth setting up a camera or two? And, you know, the the, the caveat with that is that I have researched. Uh, Are there cases out there where shadow people uh, appear regularly? Possibly that I've researched? No. And that's that's one of the main problems with the paranormal. If people keep reporting seeing Bigfoot in a certain area, well, that gives you something, you know, some area to go to go investigate. If some place is purportedly haunted and people see something a lot, now if you can go there and sit and, and observe for weeks and weeks at a time, you can collect enough evidence. But what do you do with shadow people? What do you do with, with UFOs? It's always after the fact. How can you really investigate something unless they left something behind? Hmm. Well, I mean, Jason, maybe we're in need of developing some kind of methodology here, because if there are a number of incidents, repeatable incidents, okay, but if it's a one-time only thing, it happened, okay? But if it's repeatable sometimes, then, you know, the problem we run into then is, does the act of preparing to investigate the repeatable incident cause it to stop happening, or should we be finding ways to prepare ourselves? to be able to find out. Otherwise, it's just going to be sitting here and we'll enjoy it. These are great ghost stories, but how are we going to resolve anything? You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, Send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. Are you ready to order the official Paracast t-shirt? You asked. We answered. We're now taking orders for the official Paracast t-shirt. It comes in white, 100% cotton. The front of it features the same logo that we have on our community forums. On the back it says, separating signal from noise. 
It's just $14.95 plus shipping in your choice of sizes. To order the official Paracast t-shirt, here's all you have to do. Visit our new online store at store.theparacast.com. One more time, that's store.theparacast.com. You can use a major credit card or PayPal to place your order for the official Paracast t-shirt. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. We have a few more minutes to resolve with Jason Offutt, paranormal investigator. We're talking about shadow persons, people, things, entities, whatever. Forgetting even the solutions that what they might be, I guess, focusing on the investigations, the methodology. Yeah, I, I really am uh, having a hard, hard time, hard time answering answering that. I mean, is is is, is the methodology making the occurrences not not happening? Is that, is that what you're getting at? Well, that's the point because that's. What happens sometimes, certainly in the UFO field, where people see UFOs all the time until the investigators come down. Right. And then, well, you know, it's the a- negative vibes. It goes back to, you could laugh about and say, well, the negative vibes is just an excuse, or the vibes you put forth may be in part responsible for the experience. So what do you do? So what do we do? We find a, a paranormal Jane Goodall to go live with the ghosts and observe them that way, to have them be familiar with her. Who has an answer for that? I, I we're, have. We were hoping you did. <laughs> I, I know you are because you asked the question, and I'm sitting here stuttering over it. Uh, no, I mean, if, 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 if something if something has to be to, to to prove it to the scientific world, something has to be observable and repeatable. And so far, since science hasn't said said ghosts exist, shadow people exist, it's not observable. I mean, it is observable, but not repeatable. Well, the thing uh, would also be even if you could see it over and over again. That doesn't tell you what it is. It only well, tells, it tells you that you, that you can something see something. There. It tells you something is there. It would tell you maybe it has solidity if you could possibly touch the thing. It would also tell you if you can photograph it, whether it is something that can be captured on a digital camera or an old-fashioned film camera. But certainly, we show you something. It wouldn't tell you what it is, but that would go a long way towards trying to figure out what the next step is. Right now, where are we? Is there anything like that? out no. there that we could put our fingers on, our hands on. Right, right now there, there's not. Ghost, shadow people, I've experienced them, in my opinion, absolutely they exist, but for science to say that yes, these things exist, and that's what we're ultimately waiting on. We can have our opinions about, about things. Yeah. We can yeah. be certain, we can experience something, but until science can put it in a box, take it to the lab, and put it under a microscope, we're, we're, just, we're just batting our gums here. Well, and, and I don't think we're ever going to get there. I mean, in a recent episode we had with this uh, a professional skeptic, and that's kind of what it comes down to. You know, if they can't touch it, if, if they can't quantify it, then it, it's not there, basically. Right. And I think so you can put Bigfoot in the freezer. Oh, wait, sorry. Sorry. Oh, yeah, no, they've <laughs> been there, done that. Forget it. Um, you can have the best UFO cases with radar data, with photographic data, with with expert witness testimony. You can have the whole kit and caboodle. I mean, I, I'm at the point where I think you could have the, the the quintessential UFO land on the lawn of the White House. People are not going to buy it. I mean, just basically, 
the belief systems both ways are so entrenched at this point that, you know, the, the, the scientific community will say unless, like Jason's point out, if you, if you can't reproduce it, if you can't call it up at will, then forget it. It's not real. And, and, and that's the bottom line with all of the paranormal stuff. I, I suspect that ultimately this discussion is never going to really change. We can talk about cases. We can talk about evidence. But people have essentially made up their minds about this. And, and that's the bottom line. And so in essence, what you do is you keep running in circles, as we sometimes do on the show. And I realize that I'm, I'm especially guilty of it. I mean, I, I'll, I'll often bring up the same points over and over. This is what happens when you talk about this stuff once a week, every week, for three and a half years. You're going to start to go in circles. Why? Because it's the nature of the beast. Because ultimately, all that we really have is anecdotal evidence. That's really it. You know, you, when you, no matter what else you pull up, the bottom line and, and repeatability I think is really the key here, you know, which is why when this person sent me this email on Metafilter saying, hey, you know, this thing is showing up every night at 3 o'clock in the morning, I thought, there, it, really? There's repeatability. But, you know, even when you have that kind of repeatability, it, it still almost doesn't matter. And I, and I keep forgetting his name. There, there's that one piece of footage I've, I've mentioned on the show many a times before, and I've recently reposted it, that um, that light orb entity thing, whatever the hell it is, that that guy shot in the Black Forest in North Carolina where they had all this activity going on around his house. He set up these black and white security cameras, captured truly amazing footage. This is up on our on our on on the threads. I've, I've talked about it many times on the show. I'm spacing out in the guy's name, but anybody who's interested, go to the Paracast threads. You, you'll find this, this crazy orb footage that, for my money, as a visual analyst... It is the single most compelling piece of visual evidence for any paranormal anything. Fill in the blank. It is the best piece of paranormal evidence I have ever seen. Truly, it passes every test. The guy, you know, had the stuff showing up constantly on his on his property. He's got footage of these things moving outside the trees outside of his house. Then he's got the close up. And I don't know, Jason, you'll have to go. I'll have to go dig this up and email you the link to this on our forums. Um. It is a close-up piece of footage of this plasma orb thing moving through the air. It comes right up close to the camera. It's, in my professional opinion, this is not faked. This is, I, I, I believe that this footage shows some form of unknown life. It, it, it definitely appears organic. It appears entropic. It is moving. It is moving with purpose. It looks like nothing I've ever seen. Uh, it, it looks alive. It maybe it's some form of plasma-based life we don't know about. Maybe it's some sort of a spiritual entity. I mean, maybe it could be any number of things. Uh, what it isn't is hoax. Now, again, this guy has solid video evidence, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, again, I've, I've seen this. I've, I've looked at this thing. I've analyzed this piece of footage. Um, you know, just, just the, the low-res compressed version I've seen on the Internet I would kill to have access to the to the real video. I don't know that it would tell me anything I haven't already figured out, that this thing is extremely anomalous. But there it is. Solid visual evidence. The guy seems to not have reasons to make this stuff up. He's certainly not making any money on this. It's solid stuff. But there you have it. Again, the situation, repeatability, solid visual evidence. 
no apparent motivation to hoax this stuff, and it just doesn't matter, guys. Right. Bottom you line. That, you mentioned anecdotal evidence. Let's let's look let's look at what specific topic. Let's look at Bigfoot. What sort of evidence is there out there? There's a lot of eyewitness testimony. People have claimed to see this thing. Uh, there are the plaster casts, some of them, you know, that actually have dermal ridges that are, are you know, primate in nature. Um, people have been put in prison for less evidence than what there is for, for the existing Bigfoot. Did the, the science recognize this? With the exception of somebody brave like Professor Jeff Meldrum, who, uh, I can't remember the name of his book right off the top of my head. But, I mean, it, it can be the same with the, with, with the UFO uh, topic or with the ghost topic. There is enough evidence out there. If we were just looking at a crime scene and had enough people, you know, say, yes, he was there, I saw him pull the trigger, somebody's going to get put away for a while. But when it comes to the paranormal, I mean, that's the Yeah, but, but, but here's, the lot, here's the thing, though. In the crime scene, you got the dead body. Hey, let's remember that. I mean, yes, otherwise what you're going on is witness testimony, but you've got a dead body. And that's what we're missing in all of this discussion in that ultimately the anecdotal evidence comes on the heels of the discovery of a dead body. We don't have that dead body in the paranormal. That's what we don't have. Well, and I so, just wasn't really talking about, about murder. I mean, other cases... Have, have been, I mean, someone can be put away for a couple of years for, you know, some petty crime just on anecdotal evidence alone, just from eyewitness testimony. You know, I'm yeah. not talking something major, but... but, but something, like, no, I understand that, but you're going to have something damaged. I mean, ultimately, you're going to have something, you're going to have money missing. There is a, there, usually in, in the case, and again, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. I'm just trying to be logically consistent here, okay, in that when you when you have testimony against somebody who's committed a crime, you have the results of that criminal action that clearly show that a criminal action occurred. All right. That's what we're, we're, and, and, and not, oh, I mean, I'm not saying always, you know, you, there have been cases where there'll be a child that will go and it will tell a story about what the adult did to them. Then it turns out the adult didn't do a damn thing to them. The kid was basically making it up for attention. There are those cases and then people will go to jail for that, for some presumed crime that didn't really happen, okay? And, and those are incredibly unfortunate and screwed up. But for the most part, when people are going to get sent away to prison, it's for ultimately uh, in, in reaction to and in response to an actual physical crime that occurred. And again, I'm just underscoring the problem that we face in dealing with the paranormal in that we're talking about anecdotal evidence, a sighting that has left, in most cases, not in all cases. And our, and our friend Ted Phillips, who does the real hard work in terms of UFO cases that have trace landing evidence, there's a guy who, you want to talk about someone with physical evidence? He's got over 600 cases of craft that have landed that have, that have affected the ground, that have burned foliage, that have left residue. I mean, he's got solid physical evidence. And it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I mean, the, the, the guy is as solid as they come. And in fact, this thing he's doing in the Marley Woods, it, it, where they've got all sorts of visual evidence, all sorts of physical evidence. I and mean, again, just, just a huge body of stuff. And it just doesn't matter. And this is the, the frustrating aspect, of course, one of the very frustrating aspects of dealing with this, this material is that... You can have the smoking gun, 
And basically, unless you have the bullets, and unless you have the holster, and unless you, 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 unless you have the guns that were next to that gun in a rack somewhere, nobody wants to talk to you. It's just incredibly no, frustrating. No, well, look, at, look, look at look at look science, uh, and and there is part of a corpse with this, but but it's frustrating as heck. Looking at uh, anthropology, let's look at uh, Gigantopithecus. Gigantopithecus, uh, to 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 the world of anthropology, is a creature that lived during the Pleistocene era. Uh, it was over ten feet tall. And it lived in Asia. All the last time that I did any reading on this, it all that they had to prove that it Gigantopithecus existed was four four jaw bones and a couple hundred teeth. I mean, is that really enough evidence to prove that this thing existed? Is that as much evidence as Ted Phillips has found about about UFO cases? You know, no, it's not. I think Ted Phillips has a little bit more than that because Ted Phillips, if you have a landing trace, at least you have. Whatever the landing or the feet of the object are, it's leaving something behind. So at least you know something landed, and maybe it leaves a chemical effect that you can measure. But, you know, recreating from a few bones an entire creature, you know, there's an art to that. I guess there are people who do very well at that. But I tend to think that the level of evidence there is probably at least equal, don't you think? But I, personally, absolutely, I do. We don't have much time left, and I wanted to focus on your plans for future, your books, and all that. Do you have any new books coming out? Uh, I have a book coming out in 2010. The title, we're still batting around with the publisher. What That's the a good title. The title, we're still batting around with the publisher. Yeah. I think that yeah. has a uh, kind of a sex appeal to it. We're working on uh, what lurks outside. Okay. Uh, basically, the, the premise of the book was... I tried to find as many paranormal events as I could find within a 100-mile radius of my back door. And I found so the, the reason I came up with 100 is to, to prove, or 100 miles, is to prove that, you know, paranormal stuff just doesn't happen in the American Southwest or the Pacific Northwest or in the locks of Scotland, you know, some lock in Scotland. Uh, it's everywhere. I found a lot of really, really cool stuff. I also picked 100 miles because when I started the book, gas was almost four bucks a gallon. And I really didn't want to spend that much money. So if you decide <laughs> then you don't want to have a vacation and a staycation is not really good, this is the intermediate ground. Right. I, I found uh, all sorts of things. The Herb Shermer case in Ashland, Nebraska, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. It was a UFO abduction case from the late 1960s. His case was part of the Condon Report. Uh, I interviewed Brad Steiger, who who interviewed him, and uh, also Dr. Leo Sprinkle, who interviewed him. Time travel case in, a, in a, about a half a mile away from where I'm sitting right now, where a guy named Mike Markham tried to develop a time machine and has since disappeared, which is which is kind of a fun story. Like the guy but, in the book, The Time Machine. Now, this book will be out in 2010. 2010. Right. If we want to reach you and learn more about the things you do, or maybe someone has something they'd like to report that's in your neighborhood and they want you to come home for dinner and look at some shadow people or something, where do they get a hold of you? Okay, I'm going to give, uh, give a couple of things out. One, my email address is Jason Offutt, J-A-S-O-N-O-F-F-U-T-T at hotmail.com, and I'd love to speak with anybody who's got any questions. Or um, I also write uh, a paranormal blog, a weekly one, uh, called From the Shadows. It's got a really clunky URL, so if you do a, a Google search for From the Shadows and Jason Off, it'll come right up. You know what? I'll do something even better, Jason. I will have a direct link. 
Thank you, Gene. Okay, I will have it because it's from hyphen the hyphen shadows dot blogspot dot com if you want to know. Right. I'll have a link so when they click on the name Jason Offit over at theparacast.com, guess what? It's gonna go right there. Because we're nice people. As you are, Jason Offit. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Paracast. I really appreciate it. It's been great talking with you guys. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.